Science AM. Science AF. Science AF. You done reading? Yeah, mostly. Science AF. Alright, so I'm ready. Okay. Science AF. Science AF. Welcome to Science AF. I'm your host, Dave Chacho, and I'm Science as Fuck. And I'm the only host. Or maybe uh, maybe we could say, Kevin, that you're the co-host. I can, I can co-host and co-guest. You're at the, the guest same time. and co-host. I've done that. I've been in that chair before. Jesse Klein is feeling ill and didn't make it in, but Kevin and I are going to soldier on anyway because yes. I have been itching to talk about some astrophysics and some quantum physics, black holes and planets and all kinds of stuff and kevin you are a physicist do you call yourself an astrophysicist no physicist? i'm a nuclear physicist nuclear physicist yeah um I but know you know your what's podcast, funny you're not a quantum physicist yeah <laughs> that's right? right yep uh i'm not a quantum physicist although i got schooled a little bit because my last guest was a quantum physicist he's the first person who i've ever met professionally called himself that yeah but it's a good thing he did because remember i said that you always only see that in movies right he's he's been like uh but science he's advisor in movies. He's, a, he's a movie scientist yeah he's a movie scientist now so that it turns out that was the mistake i was making all along if i had just put quantum physicist on my resume i would have been getting uh probably would have worked on it be on ant-man right yeah. now like oh, well. that guess <laughs> um your podcast is called surely you're joking that's right it's surely a great uh, uh science podcast much like this one Mm-hmm. And um, you're also a comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do stand-up. Uh, occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> and, um, less and less often now. But So as, as a little plug, I don't want to uh, talk uh, go into exactly what your, your episode was about, but I listened to the Ant-Man episode, uh-huh. and it kind of blew my mind. This is the podcast, Surely You're Joking. And you, you said that you, that you have studied... Atoms that are 200 times smaller than atoms uh-huh. uh, uh, yeah. by yeah. by uh, exchanging a proton in the center of the nucleus for a positron. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's you can do called? all kinds of ones. You can uh, you can make atoms that are a thousand times lighter um, by by switching out switching out the proton and just having a positron. We call that positronium. Positronium. Yeah. That's. Uh, Incre- that blew my mind. I've never heard of such a thing, and I—it's cool. I, I I've made some. It's fun to make. You've made some. Yeah, I made some when I was in. Uh, so undergrad. you have your own Ant-Man suit in production <laughs> right now. I can't make it in my house. It's not <laughs> legal to make it at your house, unfortunately. It does does require a radioactive source. But you know what? There, it's being made all the time around you, even though and you it's can't. unstable, right? Yeah, so it's it only unstable. Lasts only lasts for a few hundred nanoseconds. Um. um so you but go it, but it's, it's bubbling in and out of existence all around us, actually. Like, the cosmic rays are making it. Uh, Positronium? Con- yeah. yeah. It's always, a, wow. It's around us right now. It's very, in fact, actually, when we do physics experiments, it's, uh, it's a big source of noise in the background. It's kind of like the, the road when we record here. <laughs> there's there's yeah. uh, electrons and positrons annihilating each other constantly. And oh. you see it in uh, when you take, when you scan for radioactive particles you always see this really sharp line right at the mass of the electron and that's a positron and, and that's a well it's it's the annihilation gammas from the positron and the elect uh electrons annihilating how, how long have uh we as human uh kind known about this thing 
about posi- so the positron was well, discovered. I've, I've heard of positrons. Oh, uh, um, they've been. Posi- ar- I mean, we've known about them since what the sixties or fifties. Thirties. Thirties. Yeah, the positron was discovered actually just near where my old office was at Caltech, um, and uh-huh. there's a little plaque now. That says this is where antimatter was first discovered. Um, first positron. Yeah, but not so in the 30s it was there, but it wasn't too long after that. People, I don't remember the first person who it might have been Niels Bohr, but one of the early physicists figured out early on that at least in theory you should be able to make an atom of positron and electron. Okay. Um, But but now we've made even cooler things. Now we make things like pionium and stuff like that. You can't make that in your in your backyard. You have to. uh, that you have to make it um, the LHC, the Large Large Hadron Collider. Is pionium a heavy element? Yeah, it's it's an even more exotic version than positron, of positron. Positronium. It has a, these two particles called pions, which have also been around for a long time, and we always thought they could be bound into an atom. So it's like a positively charged pion and uh-huh. a negatively charged pion, and pions are like made out of quarks, but they themselves are a quark and antiquark. So it's like you make an atom out of this weird thing that's not even like anything else. Wow. It, and it's it's getting kind of kind of neat to be able to make all these weird different combinations because they've all been predicted for a long time. But uh, they take a you know, they kind of hide yeah. in the background. <laughs> I always thought Ant Man was bullshit because you can't make smaller atoms, but maybe you can. But you can. Um, yeah. So go listen to that episode. It was very interesting, and the podcast is great. Um, and that guy's really entertaining, by the way. Yeah. Since that episode, he won a prize for solving some like hard math problem that had been really, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> he solved a, like a hard quantum mechanics problem that was like the equivalent of the Millennium Prize. This that, guy's yeah. That is a cool career. That that's on uh, my top five uh, <laughs> uh, cool careers. Being a working theoretical physicist and a consultant to the Marvel Universe. Uh, cool. And so you are a working physicist as well. Well, I'm unemployed, actually. Oh, you're an unemployed <laughs> physicist? <laughs> I'm an unemployed computer scientist. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, I am looking for a job. I'm trying to get a professorship, but I really like Hollywood, so I want to stay in the area, and that's that's yeah. uh, hard to do. That limits your professor choices, yeah. I guess. But I'm, I'm, I still work on research, believe it or not. Like, I call into group meetings and write papers. It's really weird. Uh-huh. Um, but that's it's, how, it's a strange world we live in. I mean, <laughs> that can be a thing. This is how most he- superheroes or supervillains start, right? Right, you, <laughs> right exactly. You, you know how to make <laughs> subatomic <laughs> particles, and you don't have a job, so you're going to be doing it at home now. Right, and, and it will involve a positronium suit of you, some sort. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Um, yeah, if you need to test it out, uh, <laughs> let me know. Because I will donate my life for Ant-Man science. <laughs> um, cool. So, so there's some uh, stories that I've been wanting to talk about. And uh, we go back and forth between hard science and soft science on this podcast. Uh-huh. And uh, That's usually how it works. That works out. <laughs> yeah. Most, a lot of comedians don't know how to make positronium at home. <laughs> some do. <laughs> So this story came out last month in August of 2018, and it was written by Roger Penrose, mm-hmm. who's a yeah. big-time Oxford physicist. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of imagine he goes around introducing him that way. 
himself time. that way. Yeah, when people are like, hi, yeah. I'm Roger. And they're like, huh? Roger I Penrose. I am Roger Penrose. He's <laughs> like, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> big time physicist. <laughs> big time physicist. Um, he must be old, right? I've, I feel like he's oh, been yeah, doing gotta be. important research since I've uh, been reading about science. Yeah, for um, sure. He's been around forever. Well, yeah, he him and Kip Thorne and uh, and and uh, Stephen Hawking, who just passed. Uh, yeah, those guys are thick as thieves. Yeah, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, Penrose named the uh, part of his theory after Hawking. Um, so his theory is called cyclical cyclic universe, I mm-hmm. guess. Theory CCC con- con- conformal cyclic cosmology. But more importantly, it's being called ghost black holes by the press because that sounds really fun. That does sound um, fun. <laughs> I agree. And his theory is that the the universe, uh, our, our current model is that the universe will keep expanding and expanding and, until every all mass dries up and all uh, uh, black holes uh, evaporate and mm-hmm. every proton decays into nothing. Just just like a very smooth space. Yeah. The heat death of the universe, and then it's, and then the universe becomes, I guess, infinitely even. Yeah, smooth. Usually infinitely we say smooth. smooth. Yeah. So the a weird property about the beginning of the Big Bang is that for reasons that we totally don't understand, it was the universe was exceptionally smooth, uh-huh. and we've known that from just looking at the the. Uh, the sky. We can see the same temperature everywhere, all over the sky. Uh, the deep, deep space. Cosmic mac- background but, yeah, the radiation. Ca- yeah. And um, so, but wasn't it? But so that but was, it was infinitely small, wasn't it? Or it not? was, but it's so smooth that even being like as small as a, you know, really. Well, you got to be careful when you say it was infinitely small because we only see a, a part of it. So the part we saw was is uh, oh, our horizon was it yeah we can't small. see past the cosmic microwave background and also even past that it's the universe is receding at the speed of light if you go farther enough away right and so we can't see outside of this like little bubble we can only see back to that that horizon okay um so small is not small it's well, has to do with space time it, it was small okay so like there's a point where okay. it's about the size of a grapefruit but uh-huh. It's too smooth for that to have been the beginning. So because a red grapefruit or a yellow? Like if the entire visible universe is the size of a grapefruit. But that smoothness can't really be explained by just having started like that. So people invented this theory called inflation yeah. where it basically was at some point like the size of an atom and then expanded to this much, much bigger grapefruit-sized thing just very, it expanded very fast. very fast and then yeah. slowed down suddenly. Right, right. And so that was a way to explain the smoothness. But then uh, some other uh, cosmologists have been like looking at the idea that um, maybe the smoothness itself was actually the cause of the Big Bang. Like, and then the, Roger is taking that to the next level where um, I'm going to call him Roger. Can I call him Ro- Roger? Roger? Yeah, <laughs> Roger. To get Roger. to the next level um, where he, he said, uh, and I don't think he's actually the only person to say to predict this by the way i'm not very well versed in it but i'm pretty sure i've heard other people made this prediction he was he's really excited about it though yeah <laughs> so he's like uh maybe a spokesperson he's out there uh hawking it but hawking it but, that's but not ha- but hawking is not zing pun hawking yeah. is no longer hawking it 
Um, but he might be if he was. <laughs> he did a lot. Hawking famously did a lot of Hawking. Yeah. So, uh, well, one of the important pieces that Hawking added was that black holes don't last forever. They yeah. last a really, really long time, so that, but yeah, they that don't last like forever. And so that just reintroduced this move. idea that we're going to have another smooth universe. And then so some people are like, oh, wait a minute. If we have a smooth thing at the beginning that causes this spontaneous inflation and a big bang, maybe yeah. the exact same thing happens at the end of the universe. And then once you say that, then it's like, oh, well, maybe we're having these big bangs just sort of nucleate out of the smoothness of some old universe. So it's... Yeah, the universe expands, it becomes infinitely smooth and spread out, and then another Big Bang happens. Yeah. Now, how, how is zero energy in infinitely smooth the same as infinite energy in, in a small point? Uh, well, you know, I don't really know much about that part. That <laughs> always kind of to, bothered me. It's hard to wrap little. your mind around. Yeah, I'm also not really. I I don't study this part of cosmology, so it's probably uh-huh. actually a bad person to have on it. I st- everything I everything nuclear physicists do is uh, and quantum mechanics. People who study quantum mechanics do. What we do is mostly. Um, it's going to really sound weird. You're trying not to say quantum physicists. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. We, I was going to say, we try to be more practical, but I don't want to say like practical in that we're trying to make like a faster hoverboard or something. But um, like a lot of like what is really frustrating about these kinds of theories is that they really like stretch the realms of testability. And it seems like a hobby for some cosmologists. Like, yeah, as soon as we start to be able to measure actual information about the, the universe, like its temperature, then people are like, Oh, okay, wait. I'm gonna think outside of that realm so that I can still have a. <laughs> it's it's still have a philosophical job, in a way. Yeah, um, it almost is like philosophy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because we can't test a Big Bang. I, I don't think. Well, he, uh, Roger pointed out some people. So there, it's not without hope. Some people yeah. say, "Well, maybe we'll see." So like, there, there's a little bit of uh, math and observation to back this up. It, yeah, it is the point. Yeah, you might you can look for these like maybe uh, like wrinkles and scars from other neighboring big bangs that um, might appear on the cosmic microwave background. Yeah, but there's so they're, they're, they think they found sort of low energy zones in our observable universe that can't be explained by standard model, and they think that it's best explained uh, that those are energy pockets that have been left over from a previous from a previous big one? bang right uh i didn't read that far in the article <laughs> <laughs> i think that's basically what they're saying is that yeah they found uh these zones that obviously could have a different explanation but um they think that it closely fits with their cyclical model that's that, good that's that this, exciting this is some sort of uh evidence that either a a neighboring or almost like an overlapping universe that is, you know, in the final stages of drying up heat death or something mm-hmm. is sort of... It's like a fossil. Somehow affecting yeah. ours. Yeah. A fossil, uh, fossilized universe. Maybe we found the skeleton yeah. of the uh, universe before us. That's cool. Um, it doesn't... They, they go on to say that uh, this doesn't leave much hope for... Uh, 
for our surviving. For, for us living yeah. through the heat death of our universe. And, no, it and, doesn't. <laughs> and going into the next uh, universe. Yeah, now, for, yeah, there's two major problems. So one is the heat death itself is a really long time from now. Like, yeah. a really long time. In fact, it was, even it's our like own... 10, 10 to the 10 to the 30 or something, yeah, right? Which yeah. Is, and so even our own sun's eventual death, not the uh, so it's eventually it's gonna turn into a white dwarf because it's gonna run out of fuel. Yeah, that's just gonna happen in five billion years, and that might sound like a long time, but that's actually short, like very short yeah. compared to the, the total life of all the fossils of the universe. Because even the the white dwarfs that our sun will turn in, that will be hot for trillions of years, like trillions and trillions. White, is that when it's not all, billions, mostly trillions. iron or? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it, yeah. Basically, and it just sits there. Uh, it doesn't have. It's not heavy enough to turn into a neutron star, or a black hole. Yeah. And you know, a lot of stars do this, and we we don't observe any of them because it takes of them to dying. These white dwarfs dying because it takes trillions of years for them to die. They're just very dim. Do they then start to turn into a brown dwarf? Well, when they get dimmer. Or yeah. So, but but more probably way before that though. Everything is getting sucked up into black holes, and we right. see this. Like we see. Uh, this is the, the big exciting news about LIGO that we see neutron stars colliding and black holes colliding. And so every time two black holes collide, you get an even bigger black hole. Yeah, so that was the gravitational wave detector that right, right. Uh, made the news a lot last year. And they they actually recorded, it was either two neutron stars or two black holes. They, uh, both. They've done both. It was awesome. And it coordinated with a flash of radiation, that yeah. would be, which... Uh, Told us that the gravitational waves were moving at the same speed of light. Yep, and, and they put it like they recently put like a really time. strict limit on it. That's really awesome. Yeah, on this that's really cool. Um, yeah, so that probably is going to eat up most of the, the matter first, and the reason, yeah. So, so everything's going to just coalesce into bigger yeah, we, and bigger black a, holes. We've right? got a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Mm -hmm. There's the one at the center of Andromeda. An Andromeda galaxy is colliding with ours, and that's going to happen in the next few so billion years. So and the centers will eventually yeah. cra they, crash into the, the each stars other. will all get sucked in, and so eventually we're going to turn into one of these old uh, sort of lifeless galaxies where the stars are all just sort of running out of fuel and getting sucked up and dimming. Um, and the galaxy itself would just eventually be one gigantic black hole right exactly and this is where hawking steps in because he's yeah. the one who said oh wait hold on even also on these huge long time scales black holes evaporate and they just slowly give off a, a, a trickle slowly. of of photons and and uh and uh gravitons and so eventually even all the black holes will disappear and they the universe will be so big and so empty by that point you really won't be left with anything except just this very smooth, uh, cold, dead space. And then as the black holes evaporate, but then even um, mass itself, the protons, we think, will decay, right, and lose their mass. Yeah, so, so, actually, so this only, one's closer to what I actually work energy? <laughs> the proton okay. lifetime. Uh, so we can measure the lifetime of a proton really easily and it seems like it'd be like how do one of the first things that jumps out is like how do we know the pro proton lasts at least 10 to the 35 uh years because it's such a long time we obviously can't wait that long and have we ever seen one and we well so that's how we do it we've what you do is you get 10 to the 35 well you get 10 to the large get a, a number of, of protons, protons yeah 
and you just look for any of them to decay. And if none of them decay, you can and you watch for a year, then you could put that like big limit on it. So there's an experiment, um, Super Kamiokande, which is under is in Japan, and it's uh, a really plentiful source of protons on Earth is just water, just really clean water. You uh -huh. have to clean it out so that you don't accidentally see something else. And they just put in a giant underground cavern, and they just sit there waiting for one of the protons to give a little flash of light. In fact, actually, what they're looking for it to turn into is the pion that I mentioned at the beginning oh. of the podcast. So, And has one ever done it? Uh, no, That's not within recorded? the experimental error. I mean, it's possible we saw it and missed it, or mistagged it, but within uh -huh. the... Experimental error, we've only put a bound on the lifetime. So we don't know the lifetime of the proton. We just know that it's longer and longer every time we take more data. And they keep they keep updating it and making it get longer. And this has actually ruled out a lot of theories. There's been a lot of theorists who have said, like, uh, they've tried to make these grand unified models of, of uh, connecting pions uh, and protons together. It's uh -huh. like, why don't we ever see them turn into each other? And... Um, and those theories, a lot of them get, uh, they predict a certain proton lifetime, and then eventually they put a new limit on it, and it rules out that theory. And everyone's like, damn it. <laughs> and this, yeah, is, wow. this is actually causing a lot of problems, especially because in, in my work, we are studying the neutron lifetime, and the neutron is a relatively short-lived thing that's in every other way a lot like a proton. It's just that... What does that decay into? It decays into a proton. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so the two things they have in common, they're both... Uh, called baryons. I don't know if you know this, but physicists have a lot of ons. Eons. <laughs> it's a yeah. It goes on and on. Um, so muons and pions. Yeah. And so so we call those just baryons. That's yeah. like what we're mostly made of. So right now it looks like maybe are, are, just. Does that mean mass carrying particle? No. It it actually means a baryon is a thing made of three, three quarks. Three quarks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's made of other stuff too, but it's these three valence quarks. So that's protons and neutrons. neutrons. Yeah, and there's heavier ones that we can make in a lab, but those all decay very quickly into lighter ones. But the one at the end of the chain is the proton, and, it's and that the one most is just stable thing it, in yeah, the world. it's just like stable as a rock. Like it's it's really that itself is a is a its own mystery because we're like, why does that happen? And it, and it speaks directly to the, to heat death because it's like maybe it doesn't have a lifetime. You know, that maybe like maybe it's not actually. Two to the two, the two to the or sorry, ten to the thirty-five. Maybe it's actually infinite. And is it possible? Yeah. So it's it's possible that the protons most don't die and will be the only thing left. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely possible. Experimentally, it's possible. Uh, a lot of theorists don't like it. I I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, it seems messy. It's, I mean, you you. <laughs> it's messy, but it's also kind of clean in some ways. I mean, I guess it might just be that it's a fundamental rule that you can't destroy. A triplet of quarks that might be the reality uh since we don't actually know what quarks really are like we don't know if they're strings or if they're made up of some smaller indivisible particle we haven't discovered yet so uh -huh. not knowing it's really actually kind of hard to say why they should or shouldn't and uh yeah but yeah it would be so weird if this one particular combination of three quarks sticks around forever and nothing right. else does but it, but isn't it also weird that they stick around for so long? I mean, it's almost like yeah, I get a little bit of comfort from the <laughs> idea that, like, uh, you know, I'm more comcomfortble with large numbers than infinite numbers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> At least there's some end. Well, because I've 
me personally, I feel like if they're sitting around for a long time and then turn to something, that means there has to be something going on in there. You know, it means there's some structure inside that we don't know about. Whereas if it's mm-hmm. infinite, it might be just like, you know, a basic symmetry of, of nature. You know, it might be like, look, you can't, uh, you know, you, you can't rotate this thing more than three times and have it come out and to anything else. Yeah, there's just nothing to stop yeah. it from going on forever. Um, wow, interesting. Ghost black holes, maybe it's a thing, but yeah. uh, it doesn't I, mean a, you can live forever. No. You can only live... Ten to the Googleplex years or something. <laughs> right. You have to f- you have to get through the uh, the black hole squishing phase too, which is going to be pretty unpleasant. Yeah. Um, the also even way before heat death, the universe will be just very cold. Like as all also, the stars run out of fuel, they're going to be the night sky will just get progressively darker and darker as black holes eat up more. It's going to be boring as fuck. <laughs> after, <laughs> Absolutely. Like, the first Google years. Yep. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ironically, gonna, with no Google, you'll I have, imagine. Yeah, right? there's no Google. <laughs> you'll have seen every TV show. Uh, you, you have binged everything on Netflix by then. So there's you mentioned the infinite left. numbers uh, feeling better in your head. Uh, do you think, like, let's say just given an infinite amount of time, there will be, obviously, all movies will be rebooted. Oh, endlessly, right. right. So yep. do you feel more comfortable knowing that we live in a universe where uh, a movie is rebooted 10 to the 35 times or an infinite number of times? Like how many Ghostbusters <laughs> can you make? How many Spider-Man sequels are there out there? I mean, I, I, I still feel more comfortable that there's a set limit on Spider-Man. Reboots. <laughs> oh, I think I know why. Cause you, you said you were in computer science, right? Yes. So I can totally I like, buy, yeah. I can buy the idea. That's like, you know, an infinite number of, I of, like completing uh, sequences. Right? <laughs> So if you just look at it as like a, a Spider-Man reboot as just an infinite combination of my Spidey senses and other nonsense yeah. that they put in there, uh, you know, there, there, not, there sh- even then there's like a really huge number, but it's still probably finite. Not every Spider-Man exists in the <laughs> infinite universe. I don't like, I don't know if, if you subscribe or not, but I, I don't like the idea of um, an infinite universe or infinite multiverses um because even if even if it's a huge huge number with millions of zeros on it that puts a limit on what can be possible yeah uh in an infinite universe that sort of implies every possibility happens somewhere and and that it's kind uh, of upsetting it is sort of upsetting that right every choice i make is is there's another me making the other choice somewhere else, right. and there's another me that made right. another a different choice ten years ago, and uh, this is it, up to infinity. And and uh, it, at least if you put if there's a cap on <laughs> how many copies, on it, then there's <laughs> a it's limit like to how many, how many yeah. mistakes <laughs> I'm making right now in the entire universe. Although there's this really depressing number that you can calculate it's related to how many spider-man reboots where it's just like how far you have to travel in the universe before it's just like before there's another copy uh-huh. yeah and i think it's like 10 to i think i if i'm just going off the top of my head i think i saw something roughly like there's a copy of you doing exactly what you're doing about 10 to the 28 light years away 
and then you know every 10 to the 28 light years you'll just buy the just the number of quantum states available you'll just by accident be a copy of you talking on another podcast huh. and that doesn't even be that's not even infinite so it's kind of upsetting even to know there's like i don't know 10 of those i mean how even many if it's not infinite you're saying yeah. there's another me 10 to the 28 or right. so I mean, just think of that. That you means ever take a light year, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is so. Not only are there will there be all these reboots, there's just like also accidental copies of Spider-Man like all over. Uh, if you go far enough, now I mean, uh, as but, long as Donald Glover is Spider-Man in one of those universes, <laughs> that would make me feel better. And and Andrew Garfield is not in that universe. <laughs> Would it be weird if just like that didn't happen? It's just like Baryons. It's like no, it's strict symmetry can't have that. There's it's just the, excluded that's the for one no thing. One. <laughs> I've always wondered about this. So, does an infinite universe imply that every choice is taken? For instance, uh, it is. Is there a universe where I just? run and hang myself right now because that's a possibility and or or is it possible in an infinite universe that that could just not never happen even though it's infinite well um given the setup and the circumstances it's hard to I don't say know what the answer is to that no, i don't know the answer either it's hard to say i mean that's why it's interesting looking at things like absolute conservation laws like with the proton because like you could easily say like maybe just we're unlucky and we're in a area of the well not unlucky i'm glad protons last a long time but i mean maybe we're just a lot of theorists have su suggested like maybe we're just in an area where the proton has a very long lifetime and that's the only reason we're around and other places it just lasts a different amount of time oh yeah and that's why it's interesting to think about is it a random number or is it an absolute law because an absolute law no matter how far you go you would never like maybe a proton can never for mathematical reasons that we don't know yet, maybe a, a proton can't ever decay. And so then it wouldn't matter how far you go, because if it's just a mathematical truth, it just, you could go on and on and on, you never find it. So um, what's upsetting but, is but that it doesn't those, end up telling us, because we, we those, can only do an experiment here in our little pocket. And yeah. We can't test infinities very well. But it's possible that the fundamental constants of our universe that we measure are not constant everywhere. Right, and bingo. Meaning that the, these these rules that we know to be true here might not be. I have an issue with this, though. Can I tell you? This is a yeah. personal issue. Okay. When theorists suggest this, like, oh, the things that you guys are measuring, those are just random numbers. I feel like it's just theorists trying to put us experimentalists out of work and get more of our grant money or something. It's like, no, 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 they're just random. They're measuring something that's exactly that's just random. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Theorists it, are it, always <laughs> looking down their noses at us practical uh, <laughs> scientists. And it also, it's, it's like it's such an easy way to get out of predicting something. It's like, oh, no, no, it's picked randomly. We don't have to, we're not going to explain it because it's just we happen to, <laughs> you know, it's almost like the most advanced way of just like because I said so, you know, like explanation. Yeah. You know, why is the sky blue? Ah, because it said so. It's probably red it's somewhere red. else. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you I could mean, say that about Mars, right? Except it's not true. There right. is an underlying explanation. So just saying... Well, is there any... I mean, is is there any randomness? Uh, does... does uh, is there a true randomness? Or it, is it all... I guess it you would have to go down to, the, to, to quantum mechanics, right? And, like, is there... Are there hidden 
variables that make quantum mechanics truly probabilistic or, or not probabilistic. Well, so but, this is uh, being heavily debated still, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like each, again, this is where I try and jump ship because it from, starts to get too philosophical for me, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it upsets me. And, and this, I, this like tell, also tells us if we have free will or not, because yeah. like, is the entire future determined from the Big Bang, or is there true randomness, like randomness. somewhere in the quantum uh, nature of reality that makes us have right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but they, th here's a funny way they could be related. Uh, imagine there's two Big Bangs. And imagine the Big Bang is like the surface of an expanding sphere. Okay. okay. There's two Higher of them next to each one. other, you mean? And there's two of them next to each other, and they're about to collide. Yeah. Um, now imagine you're riding along one of them, and then just particles from the other universe colliding with yours just start popping in and knocking little particles out of the way. It always, it always made me wonder, like, maybe quant like quantum mechanical randomness is that. You know, it's just... It's we're colliding with a thing that we have no way to actually see uh -huh. in any other way other than it, it perturbs our world in seemingly random ways. Okay. You know, it's almost like sand hitting that, a car careening through a dust storm or something. But isn't that also deterministic if you know enough information from it, outside it, the two It is, but if it's two universes and two separate no things, we might not actually be able to see, have any way of perceiving the other one until we interact yeah. with it. So no one from inside either universe Can would, see the would other. be able to... And I guess that's the weird thing, like free will, is determinism is about point of view in a lot of ways. Right. Like, yeah, totally. Uh, the people inside the the two universes would be completely uh, uh, non-deterministic because they can't see the effect from the other universe. But then someone outside both universes to them it would to them be. it would be completely yeah. deterministic. Which is as um, and this is one of the things that always kind of upset me about the arguments about determinism. Doesn't upset me that much, but. Uh, <laughs> If you imagine from, well, especially when people bring religion into it, I'm not going to make it too religious, but I'm just going to say, like, imagine you're a fourth dimensional being, right? Mm -hmm. It almost doesn't matter if determinism is real or not, because if you're a four dimensional being, you see the future and the past simultaneously. So sitting you there. You see one of us as it, a, as it, from a baby to an old right, person in, right. in one instant. Yeah, so, so asking about free will is a lot like saying, like, hey, I wonder if that leaf takes personal responsibility for the trunk at the bottom of the tree. You know, it's like an absurd statement to a higher dimensional being because it's like these are just two objects that, you know, it grew out into a tree. Whereas from their point of view, it might be like, you know, the scanning through the tree. Four-dimensional time crystal yeah. <laughs> of the entire life of the tree. Right. And so they're all sitting there arguing about who caused the branch to go what way. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just to someone somewhere, it's just a solid object that just exists yeah that um, bothers me a lot it does and going That's back why to, to I free will to... as well and like <laughs> if there's a fourth dimensional being watching us then and we we to them look like the entirety of our existence from birth to death then are we making any decisions at all or is yeah. it just are, are we just moving through a time crystal and 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 appearing to uh uh, uh to be feeling these feelings that we are, you know, yeah. at, at a certain time. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, you, you said about point of view, you mentioned point of view. I mean, a big part of why we perceive time is because we remember the past. So in a way you could just, 
our point of view is that we're looking backwards, you know, yeah. which is another way of looking at it. I mean, you imagine driving a car down the road and sand is hitting you in the back. You know, our memories are, are just like our ability to look backwards, you know, so that might be which, which, why we experience it as free will because we're not, nobody remembers the future. So Yeah, which, which comes out of entropy in the fact that, like, we are just, we're storing memories in one direction of time. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean we're moving through time. It means that these memories are accumulating in this one direction. Yeah. Um, so nothing matters, people. Yay. Nihilism. <laughs> brains. No, uh, don't kill yourself and don't lose hope. Every decision you're making mm, might be important, but probably not. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, religion, are the proponents of Pluto being a planet just going to become a new occult religion? <laughs> That's a good one. I haven't heard that proposed yet. It might be because it's getting to the point where it's just like, why are people arguing about this one way or the other? I know. Uh, I, there, there, it, there was a big blow up last week. I know. And it was, was in so all weird. of the papers. That Look, I think Pluto, we're, we're ignoring something really awesome here, which what? is that Pluto is a really amazing object, and I feel yeah. like that's not getting a lot of press. Right, we're arguing about semantics. <laughs> and who cares if we call it a planet or a, a dwarf planet or, or a sub? I mean, just last week object. a new photo came in. So you, you guys probably know. Um, you probably talked about New Horizons. Whizzed back Pluto. Is this a new photo? Yeah. Well, that's an old one, but they're so. Let me explain. So, yep. when New Horizons went past Pluto, it it like went past it in less than a day. I mean, it just had a few hours to take photos, uh-huh. and it was whizzing past it at extremely high speed, and uh, and but it's way far away, and it only has one plutonium battery to send all that data back. Uh-huh. So it's it's the camera was fine. I mean, it's like a a cell phone that's flying through space. So imagine if so it was just click 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 yeah, click it, click it taking took, all these pictures. Yeah, and it took like terabytes of data. I don't actually know the exact amount, but it took a he- enormous amount because that's not the part that's hard nowadays. Yeah, the part that's hard is getting all that information back. And so it's just sitting there. It has this like extremely slow connection. Yeah, it's just downloading oh, wow. photos from Pluto like this whole a, time. Yeah, it's like, because it's on a dial-up modem. Yeah, eighties. Right. It it is. Um, I think it's about fifty-six k or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's this tiny, painfully tiny thing. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't yeah. know that. So it still has amazing. It has sh- it, shots that and, we haven't seen yet. Yeah, and unfortunately, it probably had to throw away a lot of information. I don't. I don't know the details of I how won't. they did that, but. Too bad it doesn't uh, have like anyway, a little they, AI, so it could be like, "This is a beautiful Instagram shot." <laughs> right? <laughs> Hashtag no filter. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, but so what's cool though is that it's it's sending better and better uh, zones, and I I think they even tell it to like the humans look at it and say, "Focus on sending us this and ignore that and stuff like that," uh-huh. um, because we still have the ability to talk to it a little bit. Um, so there is some intelligence going back and forth in figuring out what are the most interesting things to send all the data on. Ooh, now, unfortunately, we can't say take a closer photo because it's long past. It's long gone from Pluto now. It's like whizzing off to its next target. Yeah. But anyway, but there's this Googling. The last uh, week, this photos. photo came out of this. Uh, I mean, it's just undeniably like um, like glaciers on a thing that just looks exactly like a liquid sea. Now, and it's not a water sea, but this one? No, there's it's zoomed in. It's really uh zoom, it's it's very 
tiny little spot made very big. That might be it. Where? This? Yeah, oh. maybe. Um, oh, it, yeah, so there's an even better one than flat that. Flat plains. But you can see what I mean. Rugged like they, islands. See, they, that's what they're doing now. They're like, okay, here's the whole picture, but like, show so us this is a close up. zoomed in stuff. You, you've probably seen the sort of heart picture of Pluto um, where it, it looks like a, a white heart in the shape of a... Oh, it is it is a glacier in the shape of a heart. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, mountains and stuff. There's too. some nice zooms. Anyway, so the places that are interesting is these zones where like there's where it sm it's really smooth, smooth, and then all of a sudden there's mountains. And so one of these they zoomed in on it, and you could see clear cracks of these things. At some point, mm -hmm. there was stuff floating and moving around. And uh, probably on liquid nitrogen, I imagine. I'm not sure. But it, it just was mind-blowing because we all thought, or at least I think we all thought, that Pluto was going to just be yet another just a rock. rock. Yeah. I mean, so uh, that's part of the uh, thing that the, this new paper is arguing, um, that it's, it should be a planet because it's the most interesting one but that's a really weird but definition. That's a weird argument. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's just semantics. Like, who cares what we call it? Let's I mean, study it. It's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. But, but to be, you know, it's smaller than the moon, right? And yeah, it, a lot and it has, a, In fact, oh, this it has is its a, own moon that's almost the same size. Here's a funny example. So we see those photos of Pluto in the sky. If Pluto was at the distance of our moon... Uh -huh. We would not be able to see those features in that photo. We would only see a disc we because would it would just be a little dot. It would a well, it'd, it'd be a little disc. bigger than a dot. It'd be about uh, half the size of the way the moon appears. But the moon is like, if you hold out your thumb at arm's length, that's roughly the size of the moon. Yeah, sure. and Pluto would be like smaller than your pinky if it were at that distance. And that's like if it was right next, like if it was literally orbiting Earth. That's how tiny and insignificant it is. Yeah. And so these photos with all these heart shapes and stuff, we wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to see that without a telescope on Earth. You wow. would just see a shiny disk. Uh, you know, maybe you'd see a little bit of the reddish, pinkish color to it like we see with Mars. But, I and, mean. And there's a lot of other, you know, spherical large objects like Eris and Ceres and. Yeah. Uh, so. And we'd have, what, we're not going to upgrade those, or yeah. you know what? What, what are we going to make thirty then, planets now? And then also, everybody's uh, going to have to be a planet if we give it to Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, then there's also Planet Nine, which is way, way bigger than uh, the Earth, you know. And so yeah. that should definitely be a planet. Uh, uh, are, are we convinced that that's out there? Pretty but convinced, yeah. We, we haven't I, photographed it yet, but from the mathematical orbital data, we, we, we're pretty sure there's a planet nine out there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's totally reasonable that it's hard to see, though. That doesn't surprise anybody. Uh-huh. Because it's so far away, it's hundreds of AU away, um, that uh, the light, it's not just the fact that its light has to get to us and it's far away, but the sun light has to get to it. And first, bounce off. And, and bounce off and then come all the way back to Earth. So it drops it's off really... So the brightness of a planet drops off really fast as you move away from the sun. And we can't see it transitioning past stars or anything because it's just so uh, small. Yeah, at the moment. Well, there might be a way to... There's microlensing, which is a way of looking for stuff like that. Um, that might be... Like there's the probably gravitate? people looking for it that way. To look yes. for the gravitational Yeah, you see this little... on light? Yeah, as, a, as a, something heavy... We did this a lot to look for dark matter. Like, uh, if we we wanted to know if like maybe dark matter was just little black holes everywhere, mm -hmm. and 
if there were little black holes, you would they would bend the light around it, and so you'd be able to see them. And there's this very distinctive pattern that a, a microlensing object causes. And you can you can just take a zillion pictures of a zillion stars, and then you can run a computer algorithm on it and just have it look for this dimming pattern. Mm -hmm. And that's how they put and limits on how much you know. Just we haven't found any tiny. They black found holes them actually. No, around. they found Are a lot. They? Just really? not, nowhere even close to enough to explain dark matter. Okay, yeah. so dark matter. No, it was actually pretty cool. There were tons of there. There's a little bit of a mystery there too. It's like when the results of their work was like, yeah, there's a lot of dark objects just sort of wandering around. You know, maybe one will run into us someday. We don't know, but we, there's we tons have, of them. Have, we found ro a, a couple rogue planets, haven't we? Yeah, there's right? rogue planets. There's neutron Those stars. Those are terrifying to me. tiny black holes just wandering. I mean, there is a lot of scary neutron stuff stars. out there's there. There's brown dwarfs flying around that we yep. can't see. Yep. Um, Probably there's a lot of big planets. I mean, could maybe crash into us at any moment. Maybe the solar system has a hundred more planets that big, and we don't know because they're just all so far away. I don't know. Oh yeah! Wow. I mean, or maybe they're like they're not really orbiting the there, solar system. There probably are a lot of rogue planets just wandering, you know, every which way. Yeah. All the time, because sometimes they get ripped out of their own solar system by some by another planet or something like that. Yeah, that's that's terrifying to me. <laughs> uh, could all be over in a few weeks if we see one coming. Uh huh. Um, not that that would be the worst. Well, then you wouldn't have to worry about heat death. Yeah, or finding <laughs> like, a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the point being, uh, Pluto's awesome, but let's let's just put the debate to rest. Just because it was a planet when you were five doesn't mean it has to be called a planet now. Well, Things I'm wondering, change. would people feel happy if we just renamed uh, Planet Nine Pluto? Is that like <laughs> a legit way to get around this? <laughs> Uh, that, I'm sure that would make people yeah, I mean, furious. <laughs> for just changing the names of things. Can you imagine uh, that being like your parents doing that? Like, sorry, you're no longer, you're no longer Charles or second son. I'm sorry son. your brother died, <laughs> but here's your new baby brother with the same name. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Although uh, it's even more if you would have been die. funnier if I would have said cat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's like... Can you imagine that happening? Like, we renamed the new brother your little brother's name, and then they, the other one's just your other little brother's like, I'm right here. I can hear you. I still have to, like, no, sorry, that's not your name anymore. I'm not the original <laughs> Brian. No, Brian, you're the second best. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one more thing that, we, that uh, just popped up before we started recording. Uh, you said he had a strong opinion on this. SpaceX... Oh is yeah, trying <laughs> to send a human, uh, a pedestrian, not pedestrian, a uh, passenger, a, a passenger, but not a scientist, a, um, a civilian, a yeah. civilian yeah. passenger to the moon, which I think is interesting. Um, I've, in, in fact, they, so the moon landing was '69, the first one, and they did it for like five years, and I was born in the early '70s, and. Uh, they haven't gone back in my entire lifetime, uh -huh. and I'm ancient now. Uh, it's been 40-some years, so when <laughs> are we going back? And is oh. it, it's probably going to have to be a private company at this time, or is it? Oh, I don't think so. No, don't think I, so? I, I think we'll go back with the You SLS. think NASA's going to go back? Yeah. I think they're just they're slow and steady. Um, so I have, like, a love-hate relationship with Elon. I mean, it, like, we all love 
exciting things and it's awesome to watch the rocket going down and landing those that's beautiful yeah. and everything to but be at fair, the same he's time done some great uh scientific cool stuff he's done some great stuff but at the same time he's really he makes a lot of what i feel like he's just reliving the space program over mistakes okay so let me give you an example so like for example when nasa started NASA thought we should re-land rockets like that at the beginning. That was like, actually, they started off with that mindset. You can see it in old 50s oh, sci-fi. Oh, reusable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just turns out there's a lot of really good reasons why you, you leave the other part of your rocket behind. Like, there's, there's good reasons to do that. The boosters? Yeah. Well, the boosters, the slower stages. When we landed on the moon, remember, like, the first lander gets you down on the moon, and then the second one blasts off from there. You don't really need all that stuff to take with you to get off the moon because you want to be as light as possible. Yeah. So at each stage, you which leave. is why they they there should be they left that stage yeah. on the moon. Yeah. And so for some reason, um, like Elon diverged from that, and again, so he had it all working. Like he had he he got these boosters to land. It was awesome, and he had uh, Falcon Heavy, and I was like kind mm -hmm. of excited. I was like, oh my god, he's actually kind of doing it the way NASA was doing it. They're say saying that you should do it. But then he took this like hard left turn. Now keep in mind he had already made fun of the space shuttle. There's this clip. I posted this to Twitter. I trolled Elon on Twitter. It doesn't. It obviously never goes anywhere, but because uh, <laughs> I'm not famous enough. But if you uh, if you follow me at KP Hickerson, okay. you can you can retweet my my Twitter troll, trolls and maybe it will work. But but anyway, a long time ago, he likes he was making fun of the space shuttle and he had this joke where he's like, "Well, you don't need wings in space." <laughs> um, have you seen this clip? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, that's <coughs> so a, the dumb argument because what that you don't need wings. It used the wings to the land. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird thing to say. Uh, I thought at the time a good retort was like, "Elon, you don't need." legs you don't need lander legs in space <laughs> either i mean it's just you know um so so then after falcon i mean this is elon's problem he can't keep his message straight like he keeps changing his mind it's the same with tesla you know he gets distracted yeah he's an idea guy but he's not a follow-through guy at least i haven't seen it that melt yet so like uh so when they first announced uh the bfr that the big fucking rocket mm -hmm. they I know I I knew right away where this was going because I saw that they put these teeny little wings on the side. They were like imagine the space shuttle wings and then imagine shrinking them by a factor of 10 and then putting them on the bottom and it was just enough where everyone's like oh no one will notice. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, and sure enough every time they do a press release I was like I bet these are going to grow and then every time they did a press release the wings would get a little bit bigger each time. And now yesterday they did the, they did the one that you were just talking about. And the wings are almost like half the size of the shuttles now. And it's like, oh, really? dude, you were literally making fun of this like 10 years ago. <laughs> and so he's just going down the reusable space plane route again, which NASA abandoned for a good reason. Like they tried it for a long time, but it didn't end up saving money. And... It also ended up killing astronauts because there's a fundamental flaw of having your, uh, you know, your rocket be required to have these large surface areas that stay intact when you land. Uh huh. Would do you think there is an issue with the vertical landing model? Uh, I th I thought it was doing for, great when uh, with with Falcon Heavy. I was really 
impressed. I mean, it didn't come out nearly as well as he said it was going to be originally, but I mean, I was glad that he got to it. And I, j- I just don't understand why they suddenly switched directions because it seemed like that was yeah. a promising way this to go. BFR, if you search, search SpaceX BFR to see what we're talking about, um, it it does. It looks like a space shuttle. Yeah. And, and but more most importantly, it has one of the huge flaws of the space shuttle, which is that. It has rockets on the same thing the people are in, and that is always oh. what killed somebody. Okay, that's the thing. That's that you're why, sub- it yeah, that's blows why up because you're basically NASA- strapping people to the front of a right, rocket. Right, and if you look at all uh, accidents in history, in fact, you can even look at the Challenger accident. I'll give you an example why NASA wants to go back to the Apollo model, which is what von Braun said from the beginning. Also, he also tried a space plane. The Apollo model being that the, there's a just capsule. a tiny capsule. Yeah, you make the thing that holds people that is responsible for taking them safely back to Earth as, like, that's where you put all the expense and you make it as small and robust and strong as possible. Mm-hmm. You can use other stuff to travel to Mars or, you know, land on Mars, but you have to, you want to leave that stuff there. The thing that gets people safely back on the planet Earth, you want to be small and protected and at, like, at the top of the rocket. And that's what the SpaceX had, the Dragon capsule yeah, right you know nasa made them do that though oh really yeah because nasa was like you can't make a capsule that's not on the top because that's our policy and so like even though it was a private venture he i think he was always resentful that he did it because he wants to make the next you know the next concord or the next he wants you know, to Air make 747 or transportation something. right for people uh to space and uh which is great i, w- I want there to be uh, i want that to happen too space planes but we're, I just don't know if we're we're there yet. I mean, yeah. We, like I brought up the Concorde for a reason. We can't even make the Concorde safe. I mean, we canceled it because they kept blowing up, and that's just a plane that goes fast. Yeah, a part of that is that they tried to use them for twenty five years, and they were right. just old. <laughs> right. And well, that's actually one of the things that scares me about this model. That was the other problem that happened with the space shuttle. By throwing away, there's actually some good times to throw away what your rocket is made out of. Because one of the things that we can do really well now is change a design and have it not cost more when you make a brand new one. Like 3D uh-huh. printing, rapid prototyping, robotic machining. Like it, it, To me, it's like, I feel like the reusability itself is a thing that's old-fashioned. And that the real thing we should get good at is just quickly recycling stuff and making it brand new every time because then oh, that's interesting because then, you, it, you then you're not the stuck with these legacy parts you know yeah. and, and like our knowledge is expanding way faster than you know our ability to to build stuff so i think when he makes that joke of like it's like throwing out um you know a 747 every time well you know what if a 747 only costs like a hundred million dollars uh, if it costs that much to go to Mars anyway, maybe that is actually the right model. That you know, just we we get really good at throwing out 747s and making new ones, and we just try and get that cost down. Yeah. Because the metal is not expensive. This is really you, I can't stress you can this enough. You can recycle most of the yeah. uh, the metals and stuff. In fact, they have I I've seen um, car shredders now that basically they just they can throw a car into metal and wheels and everything and then just the the stuff the the shreds that come out they just melt down and make it into uh more metal and rubber and uh-huh. whatever um i mean so like you know would it, would it be that weird to have 
you know, if you're going to go to Mars, would it be that weird to like say, okay, we're going to 3D print a rocket and send a thousand people to Mars? I mean, that's a way to save money, also. I think so. I, yeah, I, I like that model more, and I think NASA seems doable. And then uh, is going to go down that route. And I think they're sticking with the only reason they're even still in business doing this is because the private industry is not quite there yet with that. There is a company 3D printing an entire rocket. Oh, who really? Uh, yeah, you know who? they're in Australia. Um, I think. Ah, oh, I should have looked that I'll, up. I'll look it up. But uh, um, there's another one here in. Um, Actually, not right across the street from Tesla. There's one uh, in Southern California where they're 3D printing a rocket engine, and they built the world's biggest 3D uh, 3D printer, and they've tested the rocket. It hasn't gone on a ship, but they've tested it. It like works. They just 3D print the entire thing. There's like just three pieces that fit together, and they just get a rocket engine out of it. Wow! Relativity Space is the name of this company uh, that that I just looked up. Got a $35 million private financing for a 3D printed rocket engine. And this, I think this is the one that is working, like you said. See, I, I think this is the real solution. That's, that's great because that, in, that opens the door to being able to print a rocket when you're on Mars. Right, <laughs> exactly. Or the moon or wherever. That, which is also, I think, Pluto. really critical to us going to Mars yeah. is... That's I've a talked big about step this on my podcast in, in, a lot. Like it, when we go to the moon um, and Mars, we got to be really good. We I, I wish we'd have private companies working on that problem. Like, how do we build an entire you know space station from just bringing up a three D printer and some sort of low level uh, you know rock, some sort of mining, yeah, some uh, sort of mining equipment, something that can drill down and, and pull out the metals from the earth or whatever. And, and the reason that I like that model more is like one. It's it's the way we do. We're so information based nowadays. Mm-hmm. And then two, when you we're doing whenever you're doing something new and dangerous, if we're always on the cutting edge, where we can if we identify a flaw in a design, we can just say, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to switch that. And when they did that with the shuttle, that was one of the problems with the shuttle. Is like th- they ran into all these known problems, and they had to basically take apart almost the entire shuttle check everything and modify it and then put it back together. So the reusability ended up not really being like reusability because yeah. it was like it just it was just they were stuck with this thing they had to keep replacing every single time. Um, even the engines was uh, on the shuttle were supposed to be reusable, but their lifetime, you know, that was supposed to be the big expensive part. Uh, but the lifetime of an engine was roughly like one and a little bit over a half of a launch. So they were there's always so much stress yeah, involved. Yeah, there's just it's got a million horsepower, you know. Like that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. So if if we get really good at uh, basically composting the old ones and yeah, then exactly. like three D printing the new ones, then we could always have a fresh, new, non-stressed out vehicle right. to be flying around in. Right. I'm all for it. Great. We've been talking for uh, about an hour now. Is there any uh, science topics you want to Well, we, on? Uh, yeah, we were, there, there was this cool discovery about using AI to look for the, extraterrestrial signals. The cosmic radio bursts? Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they found some. about Yeah, that. they were looking for other stuff, but they found these radio bursts, and for the first time they found th- these are really fast emissions of an enormous amount of uh, radio waves. Now, like, it's like they a found one that repeated from the same spot. That's never happened before. We always thought they were just some sort of 
cosmic destruction or a signal of something falling apart. But for the first time, they found three of them come from the exact same spot in the sky. And so robots found it. Like artificial intelligence found this, where they trained it to look for them. So first, a human found one from a particular spot. And these are blasts of radio energy that lasted just a millisecond or something from uh, millions of light years away. But then they trained a telescope on it or something, and they used artificial intelligence to uh, look for more signals because they're hard to find by you know human eye, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Which is similar to the microlensing thing I was talking about. They used artificial yeah. intelligence for that too, but not very sophisticated artificial intelligence. They just looked for matching a pattern. This is an exciting but. thing about AI is that uh, humans are very good at finding patterns, but now this this new generation of intelligence that we're forming is even better at finding tiny patterns that are imperceptible to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So which will be great. I mean, there's other ra- places where they're using similar stuff. Like I uh, went to saw an oncologist who is using AI to look for. Um, potential tumors in 3D scans uh, uh-huh. because uh, before what, they're big enough for us to see. Yeah, well, it, it's not just bigger. It's like a lot of times, like when an MRI or CAT scan is taken, it's usually like in the form of a slice. Right. And so we don't have a good way always to show like what's there. The 3D, in 3D part of it. Yeah. And so there's some. So, so part of the problem is the data isn't necessarily in a format that we can identify it, but. Computers can make it into a 3D model, and then like they can train it to look for actual tumors, and that's exciting. Too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm excited about the AI replacing us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you think the cosmic radio bursts are? Do you have any? Are they a, a weird neutron star, or do you uh, think yeah, it's a, I, do, I don't have a, a strong opinion about it, but I, my guess is it's probably related to neutron stars or black holes because those both have really strong magnetic fields. And when yeah. you have a radio emission, the thing that normally causes it, like we get radio bursts of a different kind from the sun, for example, because anytime you have a bunch of charged particles moving around a magnetic field, they uh-huh. emit these radio waves. And, and, and we see like pulsars, which are spinning neutron stars, right? Uh, we see pulses of uh, energy from them at regular intervals. Right. But these the mystery here is that it was a huge amount, like for a short period of time. And they're not regular. But they're not regular. They don't it just repeat. Happens. Yeah. Which, so which is why be... people say uh, aliens, because if, if we were to find an alien signal, it would be probably, uh, you know, not as regular as a pulsar. It would right. Be, It'd like, have to be modified in some way that showed a. Signal, Some like sort of pattern, numbers or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, but but even even if it's not aliens, you know, there's a lot of examples of of irregular events, like like we were talking about. There's these planets and, and dead stars wandering around. So one possibility mm-hmm. is like when a neutron star eats up the gas from a star. Let's say they, you know, an unlucky star gets nearby, and so all this gas goes in at once and gets very hot. That could be a, a candidate for making these radio waves. It's not yeah. very exciting. It's just an occasional <laughs> belch <laughs> right. from a neutron yeah. star chopping yeah. down on another star. Right. Uh, yeah. Just could something be, eating something else. Although, one uh, of the great it, things about LIGO is we might be able to start correlating those kind of events with maybe gravitational events and stuff, and that would be really awesome. Oh, that would be cool. But there, it's not like um, 
a TV signal. It's not like I Love Lucy from a far off planet it, or something. You know, right? maybe it is. <laughs> Could it be? Probably not because of it, the it, energy that's in, that these have to be. They're it's so more far away. that it would be a giant galactic ship that's, that's uh, hitting the gas or something, right? Wouldn't that be more of a... Yeah, if it's aliens. Yeah. If, it, if it is aliens. Uh, I mean, it's not crazy that it could be, these could be aliens, but... It's a weird way to send a message. It's like, can you imagine <laughs> going up to somebody and just, like, taking a bullhorn out and be like, hey, and then just running off. Like, and, and then never, just doing by that the way, occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, I'm going to no just pattern. aim at... Somebody's like, I'm going to aim at that planet and then just blast the hell out of them. Yeah. I actually, it's not necessarily that they're trying to talk to us, though. It could just be that it's a side effect of the technology yeah. that they're using, that it blasts a little sure. energy wave at us. But you have to ask yourself, why so much radio? Like, why so loud? That's the thing I can't stress enough. Is these uh, signals why are they still are... in the golden age of radio? That's sort of the whole problem with looking for radio from aliens. It's like, as we've gotten better at it ourselves, I mean, it makes sense why when we invented radio, we thought that all aliens are going to be talking it. But the more yeah. we've been going on studying it, especially in the sky, the more we're like, actually, this doesn't really make sense as a way to talk <laughs> to people. Because our... Our radio wave era was so short, it yeah. was really like I mean, 40 I'll give years you, or something. I'll give you an example of something that would be, make more sense to me. If I were going to send a signal to another planet, I wouldn't send it as a radio or even a laser. Which uh, Even a laser goes in a much straighter direction, by the way. But I wouldn't send it as a radio signal. I would write it down on an incredibly tiny piece of uh, like silicon or something. I would write a message. Yeah. And I'd make trillions of those. And then I would just like accelerate them at the planets, the you know, the right on course at the planets, and I'd aim them exactly so that they didn't diverge anywhere, you know, the, or for the most part they had a really good chance of, of getting to the planet. That's how I would do it, and I'd send them as near uh, the speed yeah. of light. And Those would be so easily missed. Though. You mean a physical mass object? Yeah, like imagine a great. Well, but it's but something it, maybe we should be looking for. Like maybe, maybe we should collect little pieces of dust and say, "There like, was maybe, that." Is, well, may, we should may, look at these pieces of dust, see if they have a pattern on them or something. We we that extra uh, solar comet that came through, what or whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah, but unfortunately um, we couldn't we couldn't intercept it. So yeah, exactly. I mean, we didn't know about it until like it was we gone. if there yeah. was a message written on it. Um, <laughs> right. We don't have the technology to read it. Well, some people even said maybe it was a dead ship, you know, because it was so long. Do you remember that? Yeah. Part? It was super long, which is weird. It, um, yeah, it, it is weird. It, it's, it feels like... And it was rust-colored. I thought that was hilarious. It was rust-colored? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Like, how annoying would that be if we, like, we it was it? a spaceship that flew by and we're just like, oh, oops. <laughs> I guess we'll just wait. I know. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it could have been, like... Do we know that it was a rocky comet or icy no. comet? We no. Don't know In fact, it... I'm, I think I saw a uh, headline. I didn't investigate further, but I think some people are even calling into question that it was actually from outside the solar system, that they might have ha made some errors in the oh, orbit. I hope that's not true. Be... I didn't read it because I don't want to know that. I liked the idea of thinking that it was the first extra... You know, yeah. it's like Pluto's a planet thing. You get, sometimes you just get a, like attached to it. Well, there's no reason that something from outside the solar system couldn't come in and slingshot away, um, and it's ex exciting that we've finally seen something do that, um, yeah. hopefully. But you're saying that it might just be in a very large elliptical yeah, orbit have, or something? Yeah, which like is weird because I, I saw a plot of the orbit. It didn't look like that way to me, but... Um, yeah, me know. too. It looked like a big parabola, but... Like I, I said, I literally chose not to read the article because I, I was like... 
This is too upsetting. I've had too rough a year. Uh, <laughs> let us have this. Yeah, at I'm least, just, especially since it's gone anyway. So you know, it's like, oh well, we can't investigate further anyway. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, I know. I wonder. I, I almost want to like send a ship and be like, come back, come back, and go send a ship after it. Mm -hmm. um, people talked about it. It might happen. Really? Someday. Yeah. I sure. mean. And, and it's I not think more going like light speed or anything. It's going um, attainable speeds that we oh, might yeah. be able to catch up to in 50 years. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Voyager is on a similar kind of orbit. I mean, it's on a it's it's it escaped the gravity of the sun, so it we definitely can make things go that fast. Yeah, um, I and just you know I think the issue is is it better to spend money on that one or is it better to try and get ready in case another one comes up? We just need to like find evidence of aliens before I'm done here on earth. <laughs> so like, I mentioned the looking for little grains of rice with writing on it. Yeah. Then there's an even simpler one, which is just, you know, why not just send microbes to every planet and just let them see for themselves what are their life looks like. That's itself a message. So another alternative is maybe we're being rained down on with little DNA messages, you know. Um, uh, that uh, might be aliens, why we we're which here is in the a first good place. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that might we might actually be the message, and that's the reason we can't see it. Maybe I mean, we're literally being might rained be humans down. <laughs> all over. There might be humans all over the galaxy that are just seeding planets, right? And we don't know because we haven't met them yet, right? That would be. Or awesome. and, and it's getting mixed in with the noise. Like if for example, if aliens are all share the same DNA because they've been doing this forever, we might just think, Oh, it's just part of the natural background DNA that's around our earth. So Yeah. Uh, I saw something that said uh, some um uh microbiologist said there's like uh it's like a million to one of undiscovered DNA to DNA when you go to the bacterial level. Like there's so many different types of bacteria oh, and, and organisms on earth that we've only know about the DNA of about one millionth of it. And so there's literally a soup of, of p potential messages all around us that we don't even know about. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. But we, we can, we've only we, started in, in this uh, century being able to, uh, what do you call it, codify the entire gene sequence of right. animals. And we ourselves. just did, we just yeah we did ourselves we've been and doing that for maybe 15 or ones. 20 years now but right. there's a long way to go and then just in terms of the the ocean in fact the guy who did the human genome project for his name he did a new project where conveniently it allowed him to buy a yacht but anyway he's <laughs> had a lot of equipment on this yacht um that's okay. it's multi-purpose it's fine but he did this really cool journey where he ran around all the seas of different parts of the world and he was just sequencing salt water like just seawater and, like, one of the things he was doing is, like, counting how many species are in a single drop of seawater. And, like, that was one of the disturbing things. Uh, disturbing exciting. It's like, seawater is, like, even millions been... of different species in every single, like, cup of water yeah. in the ocean. And unsifting like... them from each other is hard because it's, like, they all, you know, once you sequence it, you can't even tell which one is its own species and what did you break up. And I've heard that if you walk around your yard collecting every insect you can find you would you're likely to find one that's never been categorized before <laughs> really uh, i read that somewhere. that's awesome um, that's so cool well by the way the, the, we are rained down by stuff from space and you can find that in your backyard you could also the, look really? for yeah Do, you can look what? for meteors with a magnet 
If you take a bag, really? you go around your backyard, and you have a pretty good shot of eventually finding one. In fact, uh, I did the math once. You've probably been hit by a meteor before. You just didn't notice because it was very tiny, and it didn't... They're, like, almost dust yeah. size or something? and so that's how you find out. So you start off by using a magnet. Okay. And then you can then look at those under a microscope. And if they're very round and you see the correct scorch marks, you'll eventually you'll find meteor. And there's people who do this now. There's because they're ex- super expensive, I mean, uh, valuable, right? Well, I think when they're that tiny, they're not. But, oh. I mean, it's emotionally valuable, right? <laughs> like, you could at least a, read it and see if it has a message. Emotionally you know? <laughs> valuable doesn't pay my rent. <laughs> uh. <laughs> There's this guy who uh, is he uses the roof of an Ikea. Because when they installed the Ikea... Um, uh. They made it. They had this really smooth plastic that was very clean, yeah. and it started off, you know, just like Swedish modern furniture. It was like this dust-free <laughs> thing, and so he used it as like a perfect place to. So he sweeps regularly, looking for meteors, and like he's found a whole bunch of them, and so that's his new project. He's like, he's this IKEA meteor guy. <laughs> that the new IKEA in Burbank is like three city blocks, right? <laughs> exactly, uh, long and wide. Um, Wow, I didn't realize that. I know that there's expeditions to Antarctica because uh, there's so many meteors there because it's just been undeveloped for so long. It just sits and there on the sit surface, on the, I guess. On the yeah. snow. Um, I didn't realize that they were likely to be right here in our yard. I'm going to start searching as soon as we're done. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being our, our guest and co-host today, Kevin. I don't think I said your full name at the beginning. Ke- oh, yeah, that's our right. Our guest today is Kevin Peter Hickerson, and you're on Twitter at... KP Hickerson. KP Hickerson. And uh, you can check out my podcast, Surely You're Joking, at uh, www.syj.lol. I have a .lol. <laughs> I didn't know there was a .lol. Yeah. Uh, it's Surely You're Joking on iTunes and... Wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, It's also a comedy and science podcast. It's great. And they talk about the science of Marvel movies or whatever. All right. right. Well, this has been a really fun discussion. (laughs) Oh, watch watch Crazy Rich Asians. That's my plug. I'm plugging for Jimmy. (laughs) Are you in? Oh, your your podcast partner's in it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jimmy, what's his name? Yeah. Jimmy O. Yang from Silicon Valley. He, I can't record episodes. In fact, he left the podcast to go film Crazy Rich Asians. And I was like, oh, man. But, um, yeah, it obviously was I haven't seen that yet, but Silicon Valley is amazing. Uh, that is, yeah. Jimmy's really funny on that show. Yeah, and he's really funny in Crazy Rich Asians. Really cool. proud of him. So, All right. I'm going to check right. it out. Thanks for being with us. I'm at Dave Chacho. We, you can find us at Science AF Pod on Twitter uh, and Facebook. And our website is scienceafpod.com. You can, you can email us, Dave at scienceafpod.com. The pod always throws me off. <laughs> Why didn't I get scienceaf.com? That's probably taken. But you could try .lol. Scienceaf.lol. I bet that's Coming soon. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. This has been a really fun Thanks for having talk. me. See you all later. Bye. Science AF. 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 Science as fuck.